Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good afternoon, good evening. This is episode 149 of Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, your hostess with whatever you may wish. Insert fill in the blanks, so to say. Episode 149, nearly at the 150. Landmark, thank you for your continued listening. Well, now, you may have noticed, um, I I said in the podcast on Tuesday, the Primordial starts to record album number 10. Actually, I wasn't sure whether it was 9 or 10, but it seems to be album number 10. Um, So the next couple of podcasts are going to be, I suppose, um, it might be interesting to discuss a little bit about recording methods and actually get into some detail about some of the technical stuff. Because um, I sometimes, I suppose, I gloss over some of the technical details. But for all you people who want to know which guitars we use, which pedals, which heads, which amps and techniques, all this kind of stuff, we're going to get into that a little bit. And what happens on day one in the studio? That's what I'm going to do today's podcast about. Um, you can go to uh, IndieMerch uh, slash or IndieMerch.com slash MetalBlade um, and you can apply the promo code AA2023 to get 10% off your order. The links will be below in the description. All sorts of cool stuff there. Um, the last cool um, 5, 10-inch vinyl edition of the last Primordial album, for example. There's a couple of copies left over there. Anyway. Also, if you're in a band out there on a label and you're thinking to yourself, where the hell can I get a backdrop, a proper backdrop now, a fireproofed um, professional backdrop? You can go and Google um, image or whatever your search engine is, Primordial Live, and you can see the huge backdrops we have in the back of the stage. They're printed um, by a company in Estonia whose web store is not ready, but they are now a sponsorship. They are a sponsorship partner of the podcast. So... Um, for the moment, you can DM me, hit me up, send me a message. If you're out there and you want a really, and I mean really affordable backdrop, fireproofed the whole lot, and I'm talking half, if not more, um, half the price, if not even even more cheaper than that, um, hit me up and I will forge your contacts right then. So what happens in the studio on day one when you're recording an album? Now, the truth is that Primordial is a bit kind of old-fashioned and analog. 
Um, we don't record in the rehearsal room. We don't really record, as I've said before many times, I suppose you've heard me saying it, we rehearse in the room together. We don't trade files. We're old-fashioned and we're deliberately old-fashioned because I think that um, trading files and not being in the same room as each other, not only it means you don't get the best results as regards, hey, that riff sucks. What about playing this in a different key? being pissed off, also having a laugh, um, also, you know, kind of like the vibe, the vibe, man, but just buzzing off each other, getting ideas, um, and also a little bit of tension, a little bit of creative tension, and, you know, a lot of arguments, that kind of stuff. This can bring out the best in all of us. And heavy metal, um, you know, is an analog process. We are analog men in a digital world who refuse to succumb to the idea that oh, what we do is just transfer files. Like I said many times in the podcast, um, we got into this whole, um, I'm going to call it a business because you don't really know what you're doing when you're 16. But the reason we started a band together, not only to deal with, you know, the um, whatever the, the the state of the city you were living in and all sorts of other uh, teenage kicks and pressures you might have, but also to be in a room with other people, whether that was playing gigs or recording or rehearsing. The idea of removing yourself from the room with other people is anathema to heavy metal. Anyway, speaking of anathema, one of the greatest heavy metal moments I remember, a spine-tingling moment that still gives me goosebumps to think about, was anathema in Dynamo, I think in 1999. Um, it was the anniversary of Cliff Burton's death, I think 15 years possibly. I can't remember, but it was the anniversary of Metallica were playing um, and Anathema just opened off the cuff with Orion. Oof. And the moment among 15,000 people in the tent, like, oh shit, they're playing Orion. And if you know anything about Anathema, you will know they're absolutely brilliant musicians. And um, anyway, yes, I digress. I digress, as is my want. So, day one of being in the studio, what is that spent doing? Well, like I said on the podcast on Tuesday, the day before day one is spent running around trying to fix things, collect things. Where's this piece of drum head? Um, you know, uh, drum skins, all this kind of stuff. So my day yes, uh, yesterday was spent trying to find um, drum heads. So let's start with the drums, because that's mainly what you do on day one. Um, usually what you would do is a bit of reconnaissance, a little reconnaissance mission to the studio that you've booked, if you have booked a studio. And I think the most important thing about booking the studio is the drums these days. You can record guitar at home. Now, I would... Um, campaign that it's not the same just playing into your Mac through um, you know uh, onto GarageBand or onto your own Pro Tools rig on your Mac as standing in front of a squealing feedbacking amp and all playing in the room together I mentioned it before but the Verminous Serpent album which is coming out the new black metal kind of band I play in the bass and singing we recorded this album twice live all at once in the same room. The second one was just for security, and I think we ended up just using the first take. There are no bass overdubs, no nothing like this. Of course, there's some guitar overdubs, and the vocals went in after, but all live in a room, a big room at the same time. Feedback, noise, all bleeding into the same instruments. That's the way I personally prefer it. I'm not interested in, um, you know, just things, transferring files and all that kind of stuff. But you do a bit of reconnaissance on uh, where's the studio, how, you know, of course it's, is it easy to get to? It's, can you stay there? There's something to be said about secluding yourself in a studio. If it's if it's away from the, I've recorded albums in the middle of nowhere where you've literally seen no one for three weeks, which has its benefits um, because you can really focus on the matter in hand. Or I've recorded also in the middle of a big city where you can um, disappear to the pub and read a book or you can disappear... Um, you know, out of the studio. Time management is very important when you go to the studio to know when to not be around. 
uh, is also very important because that, you, you know, you leave somebody to get on with their job. I'm always a big believer in the idea that he, for example, doing vocals, um, I'm going to go a bit all over the place with this podcast, but when you do vocals, I don't do it like X Factor. Everybody doesn't get to sit on the couch and chime in. Well, maybe you could do it like this and that and the other. Sounds bad, but get the fuck out of the control room. Don't be sitting on the couch. And I think it's the same with the guitar and other things. When Sometimes different people react in different ways. Sometimes people buckle a little bit under the pressure. I've known people who've like completely um, gone to pot, as uh, they say. I sound like Victorian dad, but they've completely lost the plot of handling the pressure of literally a room full of their peers watching them do a take. It doesn't really bother me. Um, I, I don't mind that, but I don't think it's conducive to, especially something as... Um, you know, uh, something like vocals. Vocals are very, you know, one person hears one thing, one person hears the other. Um, whereas, you know, with a guitar, you're either in tune with the riff or you're out of tune with the riff, if, you know, if that means anything to you. Um, but vocals are kind of, I think you're better left kind of on your own. Uh, and then people come back in and go give their opinion. But doing it X Factor style where everybody lines up and gives their, oh, maybe you could do it like this. It's not conducive to getting to progress. Um, and it's not conducive to you managing your time properly. So day one, um, what you generally try and do is figure out which are the best live rooms for which instrument. If it's a if it's a big, you know, um, it's a if it's a big enough studio, what you want when you set up the drums. And I've seen lots of different people set up drums different ways. Like some people set up, um, I'm not joking here, a tent. Um, you put your drum kit almost like in a yurt, in a tent of um, even bed sheets or whatever to keep the to keep the um, reverberations, the room um, sound in, or you want a big open uh, drum sound and you mic up the room. Traditionally, you know, I suppose the most famous example of that is Led Zeppelin or something like this. You know, the, a lot of the mics are above stairwells and all sorts of stuff. I think a really good example is I think what I understood to be British Steel, um, which was recorded on a mobile uh, recording unit, and they set the drums up in um, the main entrance hall of the building that they were recording in and mic'd up and mics, you know, 10, 20, 30 feet above the um, drum kit. I may be wrong, but I think that that's true. And subsequently, you have this incredible natural drum sound. In fact, British Steel Rapid Fire, one of the best drum sounds I think there is. So what you've spent a lot of the first days doing is duck, 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 figuring out which channels, which micing techniques, which room ambience sounds best for the drum kit. With Primordial, we try and use um, we try and use big old uh, drum kits, big uh, bass drums, big toms. Um, we try not to use you know small modern drum kits. Um, try not to have the snare tuned uh, too high. You know, I'm not into this kind of talk, 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 piccolo snare stuff, because the great mags who recorded some of those old Primordial albums and who worked in Academy, who we learned so much from with Primordial, but he always said something to me, well, he said something to me that stood with me for all the years afterwards, which was, you can't polish a turd, i.e. don't, um, you know, don't think that you can fix everything in the mix. So try and get a great drum sound to begin with, then it will just sit in the mix perfectly itself. You won't need to do much. But if you're going to have to go replacing every um, tom hit, every snare hit, every bass drum hit, and they need to be marked in and replaced one by one, which is an arduous process. Probably there's some technology now which can do it for an engineer. But um, recording something excellent to begin with, the first signal you get, if it's great and doesn't need um, you know, any fuckery with it, I think you're 
starting off saving yourself time in the long run. You're starting off with a great tone. So try and, you know, first day is mainly fiddling with the drum kit, trying to get it set up in the right place before you really think about everything else. I mean, there's many bands who will go in and record the drums in a live room in a big studio and then go home and place the guitars themselves. They'll record them on their own uh, Pro Tools rig. And I, I get that, you know, they're, 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 the amount of money that isn't available to go recording these days. Um, lots of huge studios sitting empty in many countries, probably in your city, I imagine, because the golden era, I suppose, is slightly over because people can record at home. Now, of course, um, maybe... As a sort of, what do you call it, an audiophile, um, i.e., when you record something, um, you anticipate, I suppose, and this is foolish, you anticipate that people listen to it through proper stereo systems, proper speakers, they're going to have a proper, uh, you know, vinyl player and all that kind of stuff, and you're mixing um, for, for that, but the reality is most people listen to things on small headphones or computer speakers even, so you kind of have to make some sort of um, concession to that. But finding a great uh, drum sound without trying to replace all the hits, I think, is, is very important. That's what day one is usually spent doing. If you're lucky, you may start to try and do a drum take late in the evening. Um, it, uh, some bands depend. Some bands want to do like nine in the morning, start, finish at five. It's not really the way I or Primordial work. We would usually be a late morning starter. Um, I personally quite enjoy recording in the dead of night, um, being a bit of a night owl. I quite enjoy the idea that you're recording vocals in the studio in some basement in a big city at two in the morning or something. And I would be a very big proponent of the fact that if you have the um, if you the focus and the energy of two, three, like really, really seriously focused hours where you're feeling super up for it, you can you can kill, you can break the back of two, three, four, five songs singing. And um, there's been songs on Primordial albums that I've done in one take, right from the beginning to the end, and I've gone, that's the one. And you, you've barely, you know, you've barely changed anything because you're just in that zone. It sounds like a cliche, but when you are in that, it it's so much better than spending all day fiddling with things and I think that sometimes that can be the ruin of the creative process by just spending too much time going over and over and over things also it's heavy metal it's hard rock it's 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 humanity it's not supposed to be perfection so going through and trying to fiddle with every click and everything and then quantizing which is the process I suppose of moving everything into time um I think is um, I don't think is right for heavy metal. Now, obviously, I don't play in Meshuggah or Archspire or whatever. I don't. We don't use tempo maps where you map out all the tempos of all the riffs and then you snap them to a grid. And um, maybe those guys don't do that. I suppose they're they're so talented they don't need to do that. But a lot of um, bands do this to save time. They don't necessarily, you know, they record riff by riff by riff, and they just sort of cut and paste and move them together as you would imagine. You are editing. Um, maybe a blog post you've written and you go, I think paragraph four should be where paragraph three should be, that kind of thing. So the way you mic things up can have a big difference to the sound, whether you have a close drum sound. I'm thinking of a very dry drum sound might be satiric on the shadow throne, just off the top of my head, very dry, very hard bass drum. And then you might think of something which is very distant. A good, well, okay, let's, a better example is the difference between heaven and hell and mob rules. By Judas Priest, or by Judas Priest, come on, brain. By Black Sabbath, two very, very different drum sounds of two of two different drummers. Um, you know, you've got Bill Ward, and then you've got Vinnie Appice. And if you listen to them both, you can hear the different ways 
that they've um, obviously be you know they're two very forceful powerful incredible drummers with different kind of styles but you can hear this dry up front heaven and hell and then the huge more luxurious reverb drenched um, you know drums on mob rules I think they're a good counterpoint in this example to each other of course they're an old example because I can't think of anything new once you are happy with having a good drum sound a good first signal then you begin to think I think that bands should um, we call them guide guitar or guide bass, i.e. people might stand in like small different rooms. You put the bass amp in one particular small room, the guitar amp in another little small room. You you isolate the sounds. And so people, usually there's glass between so everybody can look at each other. Vermin a Serpent and Dread Sovereign records in the same room. Well, of course, you have headphones on, so you're hearing everybody else, but we record in the same room, which means that... Um, you know, you put uh, kind of sound barriers between the amps, but the bass amp, for example, will bleed into the bass drum. And so if you turn up the bass drum, you'll hear of the bass drum, of uh, the bass guitar in the background. I don't give a shit about that kind of thing. Some bands want all those things separate. So if you want all those things separate, then you would put the bass amp in a separate room. Everybody would have headphones on. You can all speak to each other. And hopefully you think all see each other. Most bands need to see each other for visual cues, especially if you're as disorganized as sometimes Primordial is, where you need to kind of give a little nod for, oh, this is the change, or that's the change. It's kind of important. So where you put all the amps is very important. Um, uh, somebody has to feel comfortable that this is my little layer, um, my little place where I can feel comfortable working and I can look out and see everyone else. That's a kind of a really important thing to do. But I would be a proponent of trying to have your songs rehearsed or down well enough that you don't have to keep going in to do, um, to you know go over the guide uh, base. Uh, bass is a thing, you know, that if you're... Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Locked into the drummer. Um, you shouldn't really be going back over to overdub too much bass stuff 
Um, some bands will go back, you know, because you, you record a bass line. Well, you'll record the drums first and you record a guide bass, which sometimes you can go back over and then, you know, cl- fix any mistakes. But I would go for keep it, trying to do as much of that, like 70, 80, 90 percent of the bass locked in. Because then, of course, it's time management. You're saving yourself some time, you know. So let's talk about the bass. Um, it's very important to have it set up properly before you go recording. So maybe if you have, like in Dublin, I've mentioned them before, we have some neck guitars. Um, you know, you send it in a couple of weeks beforehand to get all the intonation set up, all everything kind of fixed with it. So you're not having hums and noises and that kind of thing, if you were able to. Now, um, with Primordial, we have a choice. Um, we have an old Rickenbacker, Lemmy style. Um, that's Paul's bass. You've seen him play it live. I have uh, an old Rico, which is like 1979, BC Rich, pre-BC Rich bass. Um, it's an absolute beast of a thing. So Paul has recorded um, Where Greater Men Have Fallen with that um, guitar. And he's recorded most of the others with the Rickenbacker. Um, last album, I think he used a, a mixture and also a Fender P and an old Fender 70s bass. Um, all different tones, different kinds of attack where you take Greater Men of Fallen has a quite a much harder bass tone sitting in the middle. That's the sound of the driven BC Rich. Um, and so you, you put the bass, maybe you put it in one particular room. I would try and not have too many pedals in front of the bass because, you, you know, or if you're going to have, say, let's say you record with a clean tone and you go, we'll put distortion on it afterwards. Um, that's not what I would do. I would, again, recommend try and have your signal um, as pure or as good as you can possibly get. So take some time to fiddle with the bass. Now, we will have a an old Ampeg, a huge big cab of a bass um, from the early 80s, um, which um, I inherited off a family relative, um, and an old, old orange uh, early 80s bass head. Orange is uncomplicated. It's unfussy. It's, I think, almost the best um, for doing things like this. You can also record the guitar through it if you want an extra oomph because it's a bass, head and cab. And I think we've done that before. But I would try and use the drive and the gain off, which is the distortion that you hear, off the amp head and not rely too much on pedals because what you are used to hearing live and, you know, which is a, maybe you put a bit more drive in it because you wanted to cut through the general noise of being in a big room. You're now isolated and you're recording through a proper desk and you have your uh, channel. So you can you can add a little bit more richness of tone. You don't need to cut through as hard as possible. My favorite bass tone, we're talking Lemmy, 1979, 1980. Iron Fist, Ace of Spades, Overkill, Bomber. That's that's what I aspire to, maybe with a little bit harder with them. Um, Verminous Serpent, I wanted to have that kind of uh, Voivod War and Pain roar, like absolute filth. Now, that's too heavy for Primordial, but you still want some drive. Personally, I like the bass to sit in the middle, you know, drums underneath it, um, good big open drums, but the guitar's pushed wide. It's a modern heavy metal phenomenon, I think, to flood the dynamic range with too much guitars and too much middle, too much middle in the guitar. I personally think the bass should be taking up some of that. They should be pulling along some of the weight with the with them, you know, with a, a quite a heavy tone and the guitars pushed a little bit wider, not occupy all of the middle. Because many bands will say to me, how can we get this, you know, big open drum sound? And when you when you hear their mix, you go, well, it's because you've recorded six layers of guitar all with tons of middle, which don't forget is taking up some of the frequency range of cymbals, of the drums themselves, and then they end up going, oh, well, maybe we'll just have to replace all the drum hits. 
um, to, to cut through the mix. And that's how everything becomes more and more clicky and dick, 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 you know, more um, triggered, more, I suppose, um, replaced, more fake sounding or whatever you want to say. So that's the bass kind of combo. It's good to have a couple of different basses there if you can, or maybe you want to try a little bit of something off a pedal. Um, and well, I give a shout out here to Moose from Moose Electronics. We're going to use some of his uh, battle hammers for the new primordial. Um, sometimes you you go with virtually no distortion. I think the gain off, especially the gain off the old BC Rich, uh, well, Rico bass, that's very hard. Um, you don't necessarily need a pedal once you put on the active um, with that. So that would be the bass. And you try and lock the bass and the drums in together. We don't use a metronome, a duck, 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 duck. Duck, duck. Sometimes you have this in the headphone of the drummer to keep him in time. We'd never, ever used one. Um, I, I mean, I like the fact that Primordial kind of keens and careers through slightly tempo waivers. So there's no strict guide. Um, that's just not our style. Some bands use it um, when you have like complex time changes and stuff, I guess. When we recorded the Twilight of the Gods album, I think um, maybe. No, I'm not sure if Nick used it. Nick certainly doesn't need it. Um, shout out to the the great Mr. Barker. Um, so then you have during, then the next big thing is guitars, and I think guitars are probably more serious than the bass even, um, because this is the one of the things the modern things that's wrong with most metal albums is if to me at least if you think back to um, the classic records from the eighties, like I said before in the podcast, as soon as you hear Tom Warrior's feedback on Dethroned Emperor, you know this is Tom's sound, and then you look and you what what is he using an Ibanez Iceman or something like this. What what pedals, what amps, what his combination of guitar, amp, pedal, uh, head is entirely his. Same with Millie Petroza, same with Piggy, same with, um, you know, um, all these. And we can go further back, you know, whether it's Iomi, um, you know, or whoever you want. Um, everyone has their individual tone. And that's one thing that really char- characterizes 70s and 80s heavy metal records, um, whether it's Possessed or Exodus or Gary Holt or... Kirk Hammett or Dave Mustaine or whatever they all have individual tones and I think it's very important to try and to try and look for an individual tone if you've got two guitar players try and have them both playing on um, on every song because then you have two different styles two different tones mixing together but I think it's very important to not just plug into the same plug-in as the previous guitar player if you have two or if you're doing two guitar tracks to not use the same setup. So what I would ask people to do, and it doesn't always work out like this, but what I would say is with Primordial, we've always used Gibson SGs. That's the Angus Young, um, Tony Iommi style guitar. They're unfussy, very straightforward sound, great neck, lovely to play. But what I will try and encourage Kieran to do, um, you know, as if he, well, it doesn't need my encouragement, but is... Um, there's a Les Paul custom there as well um, very expensive kind of guitar studio custom and to use one track with that through a different amp and a different head and not the same pedal board and not the same pedals or whatever's going on and then use the Gibson maybe even a different room and try and move the mics around so you get that tipped and downing Hanneman King now this is something that's really missing for most modern heavy metal if you ask me is the attention to detail of having very specific guitar tones one maybe slightly uh, more um, middly, more trebly, one slightly more bassy. Like if you listen to Hello Waits and you hear Hanneman and King, you can hear these are very different setups. I guess at this stage, King was using an old uh, Rico, an old BC Rich, and I think Hanneman is then in his Les Paul with chains around it phase. And they're obviously got different setups, different amps, different heads. That's very important. Where, where you mic it up. Sometimes people mic up, I think, 
too close sometimes for the guitar. It's good to have some ambience in a room, especially for that cavernous sound like you might hear on Hello Waits. Like if you listen to Hello Waits, just as an example, it doesn't sound at volume, let's say two out of 10, like the heaviest record you've ever heard. But you turn that up to eight and it's still got massive clarity. And it's st it's staggeringly heavy, Hello Waits, because they haven't flooded again a dynamic range with too much middle and too much distortion. And um, it's one thing sounding heavy at three out of 10, uh, volume, but I guarantee you when you turn that up to seven or eight or nine, it will sound like a, just a wall of middle. And that's a kind of modern, um, that's a modern mistake, I think, in recording most heavy metal. Think about Merciful Fate or something like this. The guitar tones themselves are not that heavy. They don't need to be. But when you turn it up, it's heavy. Of course, it's heavy. The riffs are heavy, the clarity, etc. But I would say try and have different guitars. Uh, there are different options, different pedals. Try and get a different tone. Um, that's a big job. And not to go, ah, oh, look, it's okay, it'll do, we'll fix it in the mix. Because I guarantee you, when you go to mix something, you will never have enough time for mixing. You will never have enough time to put all these things in place. Now, you may listen to me talking and go, well, in my opinion, primordial albums um, don't sound like what you're talking about at all. Well, that's okay, that's your prerogative. What I will say is that each album is not meant to be perfect. It's a snapshot of wherever you as a musician, as a creative person are at that time. Um, and your attempt to try and sound, you know, like it's got energy and passion and all that kind of stuff. But you never reach anything like perfection. But who wants that? Because that's just not realistic. That's, uh, that's for machines. So um, the vocals come later. Day one, day two are generally spent. Um, Promodio usually tracks the drums realistically in a day, as long as we have all the songs written properly. We keep them set up. So we might go back and change things maybe or re-record a part. But you try and do the drums in a day, a um, couple of takes for each. Um, try and keep 80% of the bass. I would say try and keep some rhythm guitar if you can. Not worry too much about the performances. If they're loose, they're loose. That's how you play. Um, you know, you can't try and play in a different style than you play. And like I said, it's important. Time management is important. So if it's all getting a bit too much, you know, it's a good idea to have a place to disappear to, to also to get out of other people's hair, especially if you're living together week after week after week, which we did for lots of primordial albums. Um, you can just begin to just hate the sight of each other. And there's always lots of arguments and fighting, more so when we were a bit younger. But it's a good idea to try and find out, OK, there's a local coffee shop or bar where I can sit in the corner and drink a pint. Um, write some lyrics, read a book and just get away from being in everybody's hair. Sometimes when you're in singing, um, it's good to be around at the beginning to go, well, I think that's a part with singing. So maybe don't put a lead harmony over that or that kind of thing to kind of help with the structure. Um, it's also very good, I think, when you're part of the band to be part of the band, to not just show up for the part that's yours and go, oh, right, OK, is this what we're doing? Um, you've got to put the hours in, even if it means just sitting there doing nothing. It sounds contradictory on some level, but it's quite a skill to know when to be there, when not to be there, but to just be kind of hovering around the place. You probably won't do singing usually until after about a week, but maybe this particular time we're talking about trying to put some singing down beforehand. Um, as people juggle, um, this may sound crazy, but people juggling their day, their work days. So sometimes somebody might have to work <laughs> nine to five and then come down and do some bits afterwards. But if you're there in the afternoon, try and put something down, you know, try and put some ideas down. Um, but day one is mainly just spent, um, you know, reskinning the drum kit, putting on new drum heads, trying to find the right place, the right mics, and figuring things out, just sort of um, feeling out the studio itself. 
um, and getting a you know a handle on what the electronics are or what the technical spec is, all this kind of thing. Every studio has a different kind of ambience to it. And so trying to get a handle on that and where everything should go. Because if you set everything up in the wrong, in the wrong room, and then come back the next day and go, I don't think that was right because you rushed it, um, this can be an incredible waste of a day. Also finding out what is technologically compatible is something people sometimes don't think of. Um, you, you know, some bands will record stuff at home, bring it in from their Mac f- and find out it's not compatible with the computer in the studio. This can cause huge problems if you haven't set up, um, you know, a guitar amp and all that kind of thing. And what else we have, I suppose, with Promoter, we have the um, the Oracle, which is a huge whiteboard, like a paper whiteboard you see in the office or uh, something like this, you know, when they're doing kind of like meetings in the room. The office, why did I think of that? I suppose it's office uh, supplies, isn't it? Big whiteboard and, um, you know, and a, a kind of marker and you can rub it out. And the song generally has like a silly name to begin with. Then it turns, then it begins to have an actual name as as, as you are moving ahead. But we're all standing in the room and we'll look and we'll consult the Oracle. You'll just look at this huge big board and you'll have written on it like, you know, whatever, seasick riff, I call that, because no nation on this earth was called the seasick song because the riff, no, 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 whatever it was, reminded us of being on a boat. Don't ask me how that happened. But so it was the seasick song for ages. So seasick song, riff one by six um, brackets, then whatever the the key might be, and then you, we'd all write bit and bits and argue about no. Well, what about if the singing goes there? A little pentagram, of course, for where the vocals start, that kind of thing. And um, that's really helpful to sometimes have things written out in paper in an analog way, like on a big sign, so you can see, and not just like well, whose phone uh, has all the instructions and you know that kind of thing. And that's what you do. Um, and that is kind of how day one goes. Day one is mainly. Just um, finding the right room for the drums, reskinning and moving the drum kit around, which mics uh, does the studio have, fitting them all in place, getting familiar, getting, um, you know, locked into the idea like, okay, we're going to focus on this. Um, Bring, you know, bring some good books and all that kind of stuff. But it's not a good idea, I think, to try and just be just like, um, you know, just sitting there on your phone all the time and death scrolling and um, to try and get focused on what you're about to do. But day one is just mainly... Um, hitting drums and all that kind of stuff. If you want to follow the band over on Primordial underscore official on Instagram, there'll be some little videos, I think, going up of what we're doing um, over the next couple of weeks. Of um, It might be a good way to get a little bit of insight into uh, some of the ramblings here on episode 149. Um, and you'll see some um, photographic evidence of our uh, of what we're doing. My friends, that is a, is a very speed metal <laughs> mental ramble through what the process is like on day one and some of the equipment we use. Oh, I didn't I didn't actually say, uh, but we're using um, old Marshall cabinets. Um, and then sometimes we have a variation of heads. What you would like, I think, is an old JCM 800, an old guitar head. Um, Kieran likes to use angle sometimes, um, which is sometimes a bit maligned by um by certain people i don't know i'm not, i'm not really too sure it's it's looks like uh too complicated for me it's got way too many buttons um but the sound is very solid but what you're trying to do is trying to at least i would be trying to get some sort of more old um older kind of sound so it's a big always the big um discussion is how much gain how much distortion all that kind of stuff anyway you'll i'll take some pictures and you can have a look Well, my friends, um, I'm going to cut this one a tiny bit short because 
time is short. Um, episode 149 is just what happens in the studio on day one. There will be other podcasts coming up over the next couple of weeks, which will be studio stuff and some of us have some interviews in reserve. I have some um, other things to talk about, all that kind of thing. My friends, Agitators Anonymous, episode 149. Planet Satan over and out. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 